Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master's Studio. We'll be talking about tabletop role-playing games and tips and tricks that you can use in your games at home to help bring it up to the next level. Today we'll be talking about engaging your players at the table, as well as helping share the spotlight between all of the players that you've got. My name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden. I'll be host and moderator today. And with me in the studio is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, creator of the World of Wrath, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs and semi-professional DM, and Ed. Cowabunga! Huh? No? All right. (laughs) All right, so we are talking today uh, about the two topics, engaging your players and sharing the spotlight fairly. Um, let's start with discussing engaging players mm-hmm. and what we can do to help bring those players into the game, You know, make sure that they're looking at what's going on, listening and thinking about the game, and not you know, nose deep in their phones or distracted and away. I think we need to start with acknowledging the fact that you're going to have days where people are disconnected. You can't have 100% commitment every single session. Sometimes people have lives outside the game, away from the table, that are going to pull them out and break that immersion. So you need to acknowledge that you can't win every battle. And we're really going to be talking about what we can do to kind of tip the balance in your favor on those battles that you can win. Yeah, I think uh, a good trick for engaging your players or to try to help start on the right foot, because it's all about starting on the right foot, you know, if you want to kind of, you know, get your players engaged and then try to keep them engaged, uh, is to use some tricks um, that we're going to be talking about in more depth probably later on, but, you know, you can do some tricks like uh, start with, uh, like, cut scenes or intro monologues you know, some different immersion techniques, because it is, you know, if you're engaging your players, it really kind of is about just getting them immersed, thank you, into the game. Um, so there's a couple different techniques that I like I've used in the past, like, you know, having like kind of almost like a theme song, like an opening uh, song music that you have that you can play at the start of the game. It kind of becomes like the theme of, of the, the group, you know, change it for every, you know, PC group, every campaign, every adventure, however you want. But, you know, we'd start off with this one song that would kind of like get them into the, the, the mood, like, okay, we're starting now, you know, we're going, this is the intro, like, you know, say like the, you can steal it from a TV show, it could just be like a favorite song, usually something more relevant or, you know, along the, the, the premise or the vibe of what your game is helps, like if you're doing a horror game, some kind of creepy song, you know, maybe like the intro to the Dexter TV show there that they have, you know, that's kind of on the, the odd kind of side. You know, but again, any any kind of song or, or score or orchestral piece that you like. Um, and then go into some kind of like, you know, opening like a recap. Like, okay, previously in the adventures of, you know, Wrath, we, this is what happened. Kind of like recap, bring them into the story, let them know where they left off, and try to put them back in the right frame of mind and get them right, you know, be able to go from there. I was actually using recaps for years before I connected in with the Wrath group here. And I actually kind of helped bring that to the group here. I think it's a really useful tool to be done by a player. It helps the player 
pay attention to what's going on. It focuses on what the players think are important. And the DM can use it at the beginning of each session or if they post it online like we do on the message boards ahead of time, they can go over that and see, okay, here's what the players looked at last week's session. Here's what they thought was important. Here's what they thought was interesting. Here's where I can tailor to fix things and go along the lines of what they're looking for, what they want to do, or they missed something really big. I need to make sure that I reiterate that because the plot is supposed to kind of go in this direction and they're headed off on a tangent right now. Yep. Yeah, recaps are a huge tool. Again, you know, let's everyone remember, because if you start off and you don't have a recap, and say, you know, because of circumstances, it's been three weeks since the last time you played, everyone's just kind of sitting there going, uh, what was the last thing we did? I don't know. Yeah. Dude, don't you remember what you did? Didn't we do this thing? No, no, first we did the, it turns into a half-hour discussion of what happened. Like, no, this is what happened. Here's the recap. Now you know where you left off, so now you know where you can pick up. That helps a lot, you know. I think for engaging players, getting them into the game right off the bat is important. But because you said something, you know, when you haven't played for three weeks, um, we've done we've tried running a couple of monthly games with groups that can't meet as often. So we're going to meet the second Saturday of every month or whatever. I found it's very important that let's say we're going to play at noon. Tell people to be there by 11 or by 10, so that way we can get started by noon, but everybody has a chance to come in, catch up on what they've been doing, because in theory, your players are going to be friends with each other. So you get to talk about what they've done, what's gone on since they've seen them, joke around a little bit, and then we can sit down to the game and be more focused, rather than trying to have the game go on while people are catching up with each other. Yeah, there's going to always be distractions. People are going to have stories they're going to want to tell. Maybe there's going to be food involved. You know, whatever. There's always going to be distractions uh, at the table. But like, I like where you say, you know, bring them all early. You know, that lets that kind of lets players get that out of their system. And then, oh, okay, we're ready to start playing now. Let's focus a bit. Yeah. yeah. One of my groups that we used to meet really up on about a monthly basis, what would usually wind up happening is people would show up staggered, but they would the first couple people would show up and they'd break out some sort of quick game or whatever. And so they'd be playing that and talking and other people would show up and and talk and talk and whatever. And by the time everybody's there, okay, we now need to wrap up the game this board game or card game that we're playing, which gives the little more time for everybody. And then okay, that's done. Now let's set up for the role playing game. And now it's role playing game time. Right. And then we would run for a good chunk of the day, and there would be a supper break in there, and it would be, okay, we're going to stop playing, and now we're going to be having supper, and during, you know, while supper was being prepared, while we're eating, there's there's an opportunity to do more talking and visiting, so having those set times helped keep it from going on during the game yeah. itself. Yeah. I also think scheduling is important. I also think the the... I guess I, um, your surroundings or, or, or what you use to game is important. For me, uh, I've had many games either around tables or people just kind of relaxing in the in the living room. Either is fine, and you'll get a good game session out of it. But I've always felt like the ta- the gaming table seems to kind of bring people into the game a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're all around. We're not just chilling out, you know, in a recliner with our dice nearby. I have my section of this table that's mine, and we are here to game. 
especially when you and I know not everybody can, but we have the custom gaming table that we use here. Yes. If you're doing it at a custom table as opposed to a dinner table, then it becomes this is where we come to game. Right. You come here, you're in the mindset of gaming. Um, you know, the dinner table, it's, well, we game here, we eat here, we do our homework. Um, and it kind of gives that same kind of appeal as the living room. Let's hang out, sit in a platter, dice nearby. It's not really the, this is where we game. Yeah, exactly. So that, the table can help reinforce that. That comes down to just, like, human behavior and psychology. Like, you know, it's conditioning. Like, this is where, you know, when I'm in my bedroom, this is where I sleep. When I'm in the dining room, this is where I eat. When I'm in the living room, this is where I relax and watch TV and you know converse. When I'm at the game table, this is where we game. Exactly. You know, so yeah. you're just conditioned to do that. And another, you know, other, there's also aids like you said, like the atmosphere of the room. You know, just like what's around the room. You know, if you're if you are lucky enough to not just have a special table, whether it's custom or not, but like a, a room specifically where you game like the, you know this is all the only thing we do in this room is game whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or Exalted or, or board games or whatever but if we have a gaming room then in theory your room is going to be decorated to that motif you'll have like maybe some like dragon posters on the walls you'll have you know like a custom map for like Vrath you know like I have my you know trying to want to have my world map up on the wall he that has kind of his stuff. graveyard for Vrath hanging on the wall probably. yeah exactly <laughs> you know for all the PCs that I've murdered in you know in the name of Vrath uh, <laughs> so, but that helps add to the atmosphere. You don't have distractions of like you don't have movie posters up on the wall. Like, oh, dude, like you're sitting there in the middle of the game, and someone looks up and sees a T two movie poster. They're oh, dude, that movie's so awesome, and you start talking about that. You look up and you see a dragon poster, and then you're like, dragons are cool. Oh man, yeah, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Technically. Yeah, let me get my back, yeah. get my head back in the game. Wait, or you, you what if it's a off. dragon that's causing all this? Yeah, you wander off and you glance over. And you're like the, the graveyard of wrath. I better pay attention. This guy will kill people. <laughs> What is happening? Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Like, there's nothing dangerous near us, right? Okay. Um, and again, for cues, too, for the whole conditioning motif, and that's where, you know, like, at the beginning of this, I mentioned having, like, a theme song that you play. That theme song is the auditorial, you know, the your, your, your audio cue saying, we are starting the game now. Right. Like, you know, you're talking, you're chit-chatting, you're catching, it's been three weeks, you're catching up, you know, what happened in real life. Maybe you're hypothesizing a little bit about what might be happening next to the game. And that's all player conversation. And then it's like, all right, everybody, let's sit down. Whether they sit down right away or not, you start playing that song, and that should be the cue of, like, when this song is over, the game is starting. Which means right when it starts, you know you have two minutes, 30 seconds. Right. Okay, yeah. i got I got to fill up my water bottle, get back to the desk, get my dice out. Yeah, so it should come to a point where, like, at first you want to give people a warning, like, all right, everybody, let's sit down, we're going to get ready to start the game, play the music. But it should come to the point where eventually you just can just everyone can be sitting there and talking in the in the middle of the conversations and you just hit play and as long as it, you know don't blast them out but as long as it's audible to everyone they should know oh shit you know like 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 the curtains ready to be you know getting drawn at the movie right, theaters right, or something right. like that okay like oh the show's about to start let's it's sit when down. the light goes it's when the lights go down in the movie theater yeah right? exactly so you know like okay oh oh it's about to start it's about to start shh okay okay all right here goes the recap all right oh yeah oh man oh yeah that is what happened last time all right all yeah. right let's go. I'm ready. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is what happened last time. I'm excited. And kicking it off to a good start that way can help give you momentum that you can carry through a session to help keep it going. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If you have a strong start, then you're more likely to have, you know, to, to maintain that the whole way. I've had some DMs that I've played with that have had theme songs for games. I've had some that didn't. Um, I've always, all the campaigns I've played in and ran in, I've kind of tried to pick my own theme song. 
which I've then put together on my computer. So I have a playlist of songs that I just play through and like I hear this song and oh yeah I remember playing this campaign and getting to do that and then the next song comes on I'm like oh yeah I remember the time I did this that was fun and play this like oh I want to play a character like that again sometimes because uh, you can associate the songs with the games gives that nice memory to, to carry on and yeah, I went out and bought two Lindsey Sterling albums specifically for playing while well the whole time the, the group was in the Fan Wild because it had that you know that folky kind of vibe, but also right. it's kind of new agey and has like a little bit of a you know like electronica dubstep kind of thing going on. So it was a little bit entertaining and just two albums on random. Just played that the whole time the characters were in the Fan Wild. They're in the Fan Wild for like five or six you know sessions, and that was just on repeat like pretty much the whole time. I mean, two hours of music just repeating itself. But, you know, it was good. I mean, I liked it. It was, you know, to me, it helped add to the vibe of, like, we're in this weird, fairy tale, whimsical kind of place. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, having soundtracks can help a lot with immersion. You know, this is all along the lines of, like, immersion, but immersion is what's going to really help engage your players without you specifically engaging a player, yeah, which okay. is where, like, the spotlight part kind of comes in. You know, so, you know, mood, atmosphere, having soundtracks... Um, again, uh, Strands wasn't the ideal setup for me at the time, but before my next game, you know, I have a huge library of music that I have. I have action music, and I have it all set up in for like different themes. Like, okay, when we have combat, I have a big giant playlist that I can just go into uh, the playlist and hit random, and it will just jump through these intense action style, you know, um, uh, scores or songs while we're in combat, just kind of keep your energy, you know, the energy level up. It'll keep people's heads in because. You know, they know that, oh, this is planned, we're fighting this. Yeah. Or, yeah. And then, you know, in a previous, you know, in my Contagion game, which was kind of like a horror, you know, thriller mystery kind of game, you know, I had like some like creepy stuff, like some Silent Hill kind of, you know, like yeah. you know, background noise stuff, like the just kind of just offsetting, kind of keeping you on edge. You know, sad music for sad moments. And, you know, just the generic you know, music to just to have playing in, you know, your more generic spots, town music. Yeah. And to kind of expand on your atmosphere there, this might be getting more into immersion than anything, but I was playing a, a Call of Cthulhu game once, and the the power actually went out at the beginning of our game. <laughs> it was the strangest thing. <laughs> so we but we were all like, no, let's, let's game. And there were plenty of candles. So we were gaming by candlelight. Yep. And... But we were it was a Cthulhu game, which is horror based. So it actually like really brought into that whole kind of horror level. It was really Yeah. It was really cool. It, it certainly engaged me as a player. And actually, fun fact, at the end of that game, as I was standing up, you know, I was ready to leave, I kind of backed over onto a mouse or a, a little stuffed mouse that was a cat toy. <laughs> and Squeak. I th I thought it was um, like for a split second I had a flashback into the game because there was a point where my character had found like uh, this monster that was nothing but eyeballs, so it grabbed all the eyeballs. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing I imagined when I stepped on it. So it kind of freaked me out. So it was really, <laughs> it was very engaging. Yeah, yeah. My Contagion game, I, but the theory <laughs> when we were first playing was it was later in the day, so it was dark. So I bought like some red, all red. Uh, Christmas lights and wrap them around like the ceiling poles and stuff oh, like nice. that. Just so I had like you know we would keep all the like the, the main lights out, but we had I had like a little like, electric candles. And we had these red Christmas lights out, but ironically, by the time we finally got to playing my game, it was more towards summertime, so it was still very bright out while we were playing, which was oh. unfortunate. But because I bought all this you know lighting and mood ambient stuff because it was typically dark when we played, but then by the time again you know the seasons changed, so it was pretty bright out during my game. 
Um, but yeah, lighting definitely adds to it. Sound, music, anything to, you know, anything that would normally immerse you as a person for any kind of situation is going to help in the game. You know, props come into play and stuff like that, but... You know, and again, that's all immersion, which is going to help engage your players as a whole. It's easier for somebody to be engaged when they're immersed in the game. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, if there's no immersion going on, then it's easy for a distraction to come floating in, and it's easy for somebody to start paying attention to something else, and this isn't really focusing them, and they just have the difficulty keeping their head on, and okay, this is what we're doing now. So we talked a little bit about you know bringing the group in, bringing the group together, bringing yeah. bringing everybody's heads into the game. Now you're going to have times as well where you're going to have individual people drifting away from the herd. Um, even though this is a little bit into sharing the spotlight, which we are talking about as well today too. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this is a good transition point. How do you engage individual players whose attention seems to be drifting, seems to be lacking? Yeah, I think again this is a case where you can't win every battle. No. Um, you're going to have people who have events going on outside the game. Um, although, I've also had a specific circumstance where I had a player who outside the game had very bad things going on in his life. And partway through the game, he decided to, find, to just take a few hours and forget about... <laughs> his life and focus on his character's life, you know, and channel some of the issues and the feelings there yeah. into his character. And it, it made for a really intense session for him. But he told me afterwards that he really enjoyed the game and the chance to kind of forget about everything else that was going on in his world, everything else that was running around his head at the time, and just focus on being, I'm the badass, let's go fight. Right. Yeah, yeah if you're trying to engage specific players, and again, there's going to be players that just show up to be there. Right. And, and engaging them is almost going to be a moot point, but you still want to do it, you know, at least from time to time. And really, it just comes down to give their character something to do. Ask them, what does your character do? Hey, there's a little bit of downtime. What do you want your character to do? And they might say, well, I don't know. I guess we'll just go to the tavern. All right. Let them go to the tavern. Go to someone else. Come back. You know, maybe there's a bar fight. Maybe there's an interesting conversation going on. You know, give... The whatever information you were going to give the group for, like maybe this town, you know, has uh, you know uh, a horde of orcs that attacks once a month. Maybe he learns in that tavern that that's where it's at. Maybe he learns the name of the person who has tracked the orcs down, but they can't go fight them because most of their warriors are dead or something like that. So let that player have the information and have to come back to the group with it. You know, bring them into it. You know, don't do it all the time if they are the player that just shows up just to show up that might eventually start annoying them. You know, they might not want to be in the spotlight that much, you know. But, but you can also, you know, if you give them an informational tidbit that they can come back with, uh -huh. that doesn't necessarily put them into the spotlight so much as feeling exactly. like they're contributing. They're exactly. part of the team. Exactly. Yeah, I think for engaging players specifically, I mean, you know, immersion aside, without spotlighting, really it comes down to what we talked about before, is knowing your player types. Like, what right. is going to get them right. engaged in the game? You know, do you have the the aspects of the game? You know, in, in dividing up your game, you know, first you need to know your, your group of players, 
what type of player types you have in your group, and then making sure that you're dividing your time evenly enough between the different player types you have. Do you have stuff to engage your storytellers? Do you have stuff to engage your optimizers? Do you have stuff to engage your your fighters? Do you have stuff to engage your your actors, your explorers? You know, like all eight types that we talked about in the past in previous episodes. Go check them out. You know, uh, except the observers. Yeah, <laughs> we had that discussion. Yeah. Right. So again, you know, which you know, like I mentioned, like sometimes you have people that are going to just be there to be there. And I think when he says that today, he means that more of like you can't always win. Everyone's going to have an off day, as yeah. opposed to the previous conversation that we had of like some people just aren't a type; they're just the watcher. Because, or at least in my opinion, like I, you know, won't get into it again. But I don't really believe in there being a true watcher type. Right, I believe right. there a watcher's untapped. So. But moving on, like just know your player types. But that's, that's why you engage them is to see if you can't tap into that. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you know, in good, but engaging your players is knowing your player types and in having the appropriate resource materials there. You know, having your combats for your fighters. You know, your optimized fighters. Having your role playing moments for your actors and your storytellers. Yeah. You know, just having your game set up appropriately for your group. I th- I think a, a way to engage, it can be a little heavy-handed, but it can also be really effective. Since we're also talking about sharing the spotlight, and so here's kind of our transition phase, is an effective way to engage somebody that you may feel like they're drifting away a bit is to suddenly throw a spotlight on them. Yeah. Which is as easy as going, so what are you doing right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, or, you know, their, their turn comes up in initiative. What are you doing? If, you know, you have three seconds to make up your mind or your character stands there trying to figure out what to do. Um, I had a DM that used a very effective, um, when your turn came up into an, or not when your turn came up an initiative, but when something unexpected happened, he would explain it really quickly and then start counting down. You know, like five, four, three, two, and if he got to one and you didn't say anything, your character was taken by surprise and didn't do anything, didn't react. Um, our players, as players, we had to learn this, so we started off getting caught flat-footed quite a bit of the time. Yeah. And as our players, we got more experience. Our characters got more experience. Our characters started turning into the badasses and were reacting faster because we had this experience as players that translated to our characters yeah. being in better situations. There, there's definitely going to be some coaching involved if you have players that seem like they're maybe not as into it you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm old school, man. I come from kind of old school gaming. I was taught by people who had been doing this for decades before I even joined. And they were the kind of people, you didn't show up to a gaming session like twice in a row, your character was dead. You know, if you're not paying attention, you know, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to get attacked by something, even if there's nothing there. I'm the kind of person, I see people, you know, playing on their cell phones or their laptops. I want to like take it from them, throw it away, and be like, I'm, I'm running my game. <laughs> but you can't do that, you know, especially not in today's age, you can't do that. So there um, might be some coaching involved if people seem, like, distracted or whatnot, or maybe even do a little inner reflective. Is what I'm doing, is it entertaining? Quick flashback from what you mentioned uh, when we were talking earlier about the recaps. Absent players, great way they start in, well, what did I miss? Yeah. We forgot to hit that point. 
Yeah. Now back to what you were saying. Yeah. I think it's also difficult with, you know, the playing on the cell phones, playing on the laptops because of the technology that you can use in gaming. Um, we've mentioned a couple times on the show that we use the D20 Pro program to, to run our games, which means that pretty much everybody at the table has a laptop or at least a keyboard and mouse in front of them. So they are on their devices, but you can still be engaged and connected to the game with that there. You just need to uh, be aware of whether or not, okay, are they working on their character? Are they looking something up in a PDF of a rule book they have? Or are they on Facebook? Yeah. 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 I usually have, you know, I have D20 Pro open. I have one to three different PDFs open, you know, either the player's handbook. If I'm DMing, also the DMG, also the monster manual. Right. You know, I'll also have a web page open where I might have like NPC character sheets saved online on like mythweavers.com. Yep. You know, or I'll have like Google Drive open where I like I work on stuff that, you know, I use a little, uh, Google Drive for a lot of stuff because it doesn't matter where I am, I can access these documents. So I can access, you know, I can work on it at my desktop at home and then not have to worry about making any special flash drives or anything like that. I can just instantly access it from my laptop. So I have a lot of stuff going on when I'm playing my game, you know, from a laptop standpoint. But I could easily throw Facebook in the mix, too, which is like, you know, as a DM, I would never do that. And as a player, I'm unlikely to do that. But it is something that you have to be aware of that it could happen. Like, yes, they might have 13 legit windows open, but they might also be playing on Facebook. So, you know, and that's where, you know, you could if you think you have trouble with that and you're not sure, you could become one of those DMs that every now and then just gets up and walks around the table while still DMing and describing it. You know, kind of spy on them a little bit, you know, see if they're actually paying attention, you know, what they're doing on their, uh, you know, kind of like the teacher might do, you know, like walk the classroom. Yeah. You know, what are they, are they really reading the book or are they, uh, you know, like, is there a playboy underneath that textbook kind of thing? Right, right. I mean, like, what's going on? Yeah, and I, I found that as a DM, you know, you also, sometimes it's okay to let the leash out a little bit. And, you know, if somebody's, you see them on Facebook, you know, maybe... Maybe they're they're the combat heavy. They're the muscle of the crew, and they're in town talking right now. So this isn't necessarily the point where you need to have them one hundred percent in the head of the table. Give them a chance to kind of step back a bit. But you know, if you've got the big, uh, you know, your big talker on Facebook, and we're going to meet the king, you should probably make sure that they're paying attention to what's going on, so that they can do their role when their their time to shine comes up. Yeah, I mean, I agree that, you know, having a a lax leash, so to speak, you know, giving a little bit of rope is okay. But at the same time, like, I don't want any player ever to be like, wait, what's going on? Yeah, that's like the the worst question in the world. Like, oh, so like to me, that's like to me, I'm failing as the DM right now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not engaging everybody. It's even worse not to be in the middle of combat. What's going on? Awful question. Interesting question to have, though, that's okay is, wait, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, if yeah. You, if if that's a recap, like wait, what just happened? You know, okay, fine, great. Like you know, they need to hear that again. They're in shock. Maybe they don't believe it, or maybe they right. just didn't quite hear it. Whatever reason, but you but know, if what, it, but, but if, if you didn't catch the gist of the conversation because you were tweeting yeah, about you know, something we, else, we've been role playing for the last you know twenty minutes, and then all of a sudden you're like, so I'm like, uh, so so and so, like, what what are you what are you doing? You've been quiet over there, like. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. What's going on? I, I don't know what's going on. Like you don't even know what's going on. I'm sorry. I missed the last about. five minutes of the conversation because I was playing with the dog. Yeah. So yeah. like that—that's when we have problems. But 
So moving into spotlights, I think a big difference, you know, and this is another way, again, like we talked about, to engage somebody is to throw a spotlight on them. Um, I think a big difference between engaging a player and uh, sharing the spotlight is engaging a player, obviously, as it says, is engaging the player, specifically the person playing the character. Right. In my opinion, sharing the spotlight is coming up with situations to share, you know, the spotlight, as it were, you know, for the character. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. like, engagement is the player and the spotlight is the character. So, and that's where, okay, if I have a rogue in the party, a fighter in the party, a wizard in the party, a cleric in the party, I need to have specific situations where the cleric will shine. Mm -hmm. Specific situations where the wizard will shine, where the rogue will shine, where the fighter will shine. Then you can add in the complexity of like, well, my rogue is more of a role player and has, you know, okay, which is good because the rogue has charisma-based stats because of the player type. Okay, well, I need to have some opportunities for him to be a silver-tongued devil. All right, you know, my wizard isn't necessarily the most charismatic wizard. You know, he's more like the, the fireball-y guy. Okay, well, I need combat for the wizard because he wants to fireball giant groups of goblins. My fighter is more of a finesse two-handed fighter, you know, that does this sort of thing. Like, he's more, like, doesn't have a very good strength but has really good decks. One, you know, like, has, you know, really high acrobatic skill. Let's, you know, offer him some opportunities where, like, you know, we need someone to run across the tightrope and slay the, the ogre on the other side for whatever, you know, just like throwing things off the top of my head, you know. But, you know, you want to come up with these specific situations where the character, the way that that character is built, can shine and can, you know, be the hero of that moment of that scene over all everyone else in the group. Everyone else in the group gets to still support and have something to do. They're not just sitting there ooing and aahing and putting their thumb up their bum. But right. this one character has the moment, like, you know, again, you know, your atypical rogue, like, oh my god, we're stuck in a cell. Don't worry, I've got some lockpicks hidden in my shoe. Boom. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, you as a DM, you should definitely be providing those opportunities. You know, you could have a golem that... that doesn't take as much damage except for magic. And that gives you the opportunity of, okay, the ma the mage is going to be using his magic and he's going to be de damaging the golem. He's going to kind of be carrying the encounter. Right. Uh, but then you also, you need to have your fighter up there to, to tank the golem, to take the hits, to keep the golem from going right after the mage. And then you need to have the cleric who's going to keep the fighter alive and, you know, the rogue and maybe divert, divert and help lock down the golem. And so this is an encounter that's really about the mage being the superstar, but everybody else still has stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there can always be small mini spotlights or like, you know, like there's there's lights on the whole stage, but the spotlight is on this one character right now and you just have to make sure that you shift that spotlight around you know okay so boom we kill the golem the wizard kills the golem you know it's a group effort but you know without the if the mage hadn't been there it never would have been a success he gets his moment now we shift over to uh, the cleric having a moment where like maybe a whole bunch of skeletons show up and he gets to turn on dead and use his cool ability that he doesn't get to use very often yep. but it's there and god dang it clerics don't get to use it very often right right yeah. it's the, like it's a highlight staple ability of clerics since like what second edition and, you know I'm not I'm pretty sure there's turn on dead since second edition I don't know how many times I can count yeah. uh, I can probably count on like it was in hands. advanced dungeons and dragons first edition I'm pretty sure oh, okay right? yeah like I can I mean, probably it, count it on wasn't I don't think it was in I'd have to. I'd have to look. Yeah, it may have important. been an original, like yeah. base back when it was you know magic user, fighting man, th thief, and cleric. 
Yeah, you know, not that important, but you know, it's been around for a long time, and I can yeah. probably count on two hands how many times I've seen a cleric turn undead. Honestly, and I play clerics all the time myself. I probably can count on one hand how many times I've done it as a cleric, and I've probably played you know two dozen clerics in my lifetime. So you know, it's one of those like it's over easily overlooked because a lot of DMs just think, oh well, they do it all the time, but yeah, but they don't because yeah. <laughs> everyone thinks that they do it all and, the time. You know, I think a part of it might even be like kind of a an internal thing, a DM thinking, okay, well, we got a cleric in the group, so I can't really throw DM uh, undead. undead at, yeah, it's at too them. easy for them. Yeah, or so you it, have to remember it's, that it's it's not even it's not even they're doing it on purpose. It's just an internalization. Plus, everyone tries to be you know, original yeah. and sneaky and creative, and they're like, oh, well, that's the oldest trope in the book for clerics, throw a bunch of you know, undead at them. I'm like, it's there for a reason, dude. That's why you do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, th- I think you need to remember that it's okay to give your party a challenge that they're going to easily overcome. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, give them that, that swarm of skeletons for the cleric to turn, and that gives the cleric a cool moment in the spotlight, mm-hmm. and it gives you that the players like, okay, there were these skeletons here as well, so this place is even more heavily guarded than we thought. Yeah, especially once they're a high enough level that they can just turn them into dust. Right. Yeah. You know, because all of a sudden you've got these. Okay, we got to f- face these things. We got to go down, and then poof, they're gone. The cleric was like a total badass, you yeah, know, yeah, right there. Totally. And you present it as well. If it was another group, if it was someone that wasn't as powerful, if somebody didn't have a cleric, they would have had a pitched battle on their hands. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's very reasonable that this is a defense mechanism. You guys just happen to be the perfect counter for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and another way to throw, throw a spotlight on players is, uh, or on characters is, you know, skill challenges and stuff like that. It's another way also to allow people that aren't in the spotlight an opportunity to be busy in the background. So right. say you have the big, giant, burly barbarian in your group, and he's awesome. Like, he could totally tank, like, you know, three bears by himself, you know, but he's really built for, like, the more like the one-on-one combat. So you want to throw that big, burly thing at the barbarian, but you don't, like, well, I really kind of built this for the barbarian. It's really his moment to shine. But if I have the whole party beating on this thing, then it's going to go down a lot easier than just the barbarian having that moment of like, oh, I'm going to wrestle this bear. All right, well, let's have some skill challenges going on in the background. Yeah. You know, let's have some magical turrets that the wizard and the rogue need to double team, you know, making some successful, you know, arcane and, you know, uh, sleight of hand checks going on in the background. Like the wizard sitting there deciphering some arcane text and the, the rogue having to take advantage of that information and use his nimble fingers to arrange some puzzle pieces while the cleric's keeping an eye on these guys that could be taking turret damage and keeping an eye on the barbarian to make sure he doesn't go down. Or maybe on top of that, maybe all of a sudden, like, you know, they're busy. They're busy, you know, the, the Barbarian's busy over there, Wizard and the Rogue are busy over there, the Cleric's like, okay, well, I'm going to be bored just keeping an eye on everyone, making sure they don't get healed, and then all of a sudden two skeletons walk into the room, oh, crap. Yeah. yeah. Now and, I have something to do. And you you actually almost described a, uh, a major set piece that I did in one of my games, and I know you worked with me when I was planning on it, so I don't know if you were referencing that specifically. No, I wasn't. Uh, um, I do remember it, yep. Yeah, I had, I had a seven-person party, and I managed to come up with a battle with a, a battle sequence, a, a set piece, where there was so much going on for that they had to handle so many different things that they had the, all of the players running around doing different things that all came together to make the encounter move forward. And I was actually told afterwards by one of the players that they said that that was the best encounter they had ever played in because there was so much going on that they really felt like they were working for it. 
but they also really felt so good when they were all successful and everything came together mm-hmm. for them to get their goal. Mm-hmm. You know, and even out even outside of combat, you know, like you said, you because you touched on skill checks earlier. Even outside of combat, like you could have the scenario where you know your group comes across you know this area and they have to essentially scale this cliff. You know, so you're going to have your like one or maybe two characters who have the best athletics roles. You know, they're the ones who are going to be leading the charge in this climb. So they're really going to shine. Where maybe later on in this dungeon, you have like these ancient scripts, you know, and they're speaking in riddles, you know, so you need your more kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, mentally strong characters, you know, kind of delving into the, the puzzle of what does this omen mean, you know? Yep, puzzles are good. Um, uh, and you know, and not just hey, let's make sure there's plenty of traps for the rogue to detect and set off. I mean, that's a thing certainly. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, if if they if they get the inkling, or maybe even if if you know that they are a thief, they are a cut person, their background. Every once in a while, when they're in the, they're in a town, just tell them roll perception. Yep. But don't tell them why until they until they do it, and then say, you see, kind of this is a dude walking out with his fat purse, and see if they take the bait. See if they want to go up and try to roll a sleight of hand. Yep. You know. Which is actually similar to, to one of the other tricks that I use. Um, I'll often have where, let's say you have a party of four people, and there's discussion going on, and it's heavily between two of the characters, and you know there's a third character kind of interacting now and then, and I notice that so, you know fourth character is not really getting a lot of play there. What I'll do is I'll have. Th- as the other two characters are going back and forth, I'll you know make a mention to to the fourth character, you know, make a perception or make this type of check, and actually have it that because they weren't engaged in the conversation, you know, maybe they noticed some papers on the desk, or they were just kind of poking around and found something, or they heard something that related to their specialty, and they're like, wait, that's never going to work. You guys have the wrong idea. And that prompts them to connect back in to that conversation, to kind of rejoin that group. Um, I was actually used that a couple of times where I was really lucky that I had the quiet player sitting right next to me as a DM. So we actually had a couple of those exchanges. And, and on more than one occasion, they elected to not bring it up to the group just yet and keep it secret for the moment. Yeah. Which... Player secrets is something else we can talk about another time, but personally, I like it when different people know different things that are going on and have different views. Yeah, and actually, you when you say slipping a note to a character, that actually brings up another thing, is that's kind of a way... I know we've gone past the engaging, I guess it also could be kind of tw- uh, slipped into giving them the spotlight, is like, just slip a, slip a character a note. Maybe there's, you know, again, there's that piece of information that no one else has quite yet. You know, maybe you feel like this player hasn't done anything in the last 20 minutes or so. You know, you want to kind of throw the spotlight back on them. There's the clue. You just kind of write it down on a piece of paper or an index card, slip it over to them, and just let them go to town. You know, go to town from there. Do their thing. We actually had a situation in one of my games where one of the players was paranoid and suspicious of one of the other players Mm -hmm. and making absolutely no, uh, no secret of it. So at one point, to play into it, I wrote a note to one of the other players that literally said, I'm giving you this note to make X more paranoid. Roll a couple dice and tell me the results. 
and handed them the note, <laughs> and they looked at it. They read it. They rolled the dice and looked at it, and they're like, um, hang on, and wrote it down and gave it back. And I, I, I looked at the notes, and they just said, okay, I rolled dice but felt this would be more fun. And I responded with, yeah, you're right. That sounds good. I handed it to them. They looked at it, and they're like, okay, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to know. I'm like, okay, then we're good. Well, let's continue on. And meanwhile, the other player is like, you. Yeah. <laughs> you son of a bitch. But they were paying attention to every well, little sure thing were. that was going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, all your know, final thoughts for like sharing spotlight would be like tropes are tropes for a reason. You know, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. Like, don't try so hard to go outside them that you can't use them. Like, you know, give, yeah. give clerks a chance to turn them dead. Give rogues a chance to, you know, detect yeah. traps. Yeah. You know, you can't always be combat or, you know, you know that kind of stuff. Well, give them a chance to shine. You know, like, don't always have it be turn undead. Don't always have it be traps. But make sure that, you know, make sure that at least once in every rogue's existence, he has a chance to find some traps. So make sure that well, you know, at least once in every cleric's existence, he has a chance to turn undead. Yep. And then you'll be doing the world a better place. You know, making the world a better place. And you know what you do? Every once in a while, make that trap. Make it a... a Think up just this Rube Goldberg machine, just this immaculate, you know, or, or, or uh, uh, just this well thought out, ridiculous trap that you know when the when the rogue discovers it, you, you and you maybe just write it down. This is what you found, you know. You just you describe to them that just crazy trap that's just gonna, you know, could have wrecked the party. Like yeah, it's really elaborate and does all these weird things. But the end result could have been disastrous as well, right, you yeah. know? Yeah, the whole world would have fell apart had you not disabled this thing. <laughs> or have a situation That's where when the cleric can turn undead twice a day, there are three undead encounters. Yeah. So they turn undead the first one, they turn undead the second one, and then the more undead show up, like, oh, I'm all out. So now we have to fight. Yep. Now you see exactly what he let you skip. Exactly. And you can appreciate him a bit more. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap it up there, I think. Um, if you have any comments, have any questions or topic ideas or anything else that you want to discuss with us, definitely feel free to get in touch. Uh, we have our message boards. Uh, we are available on Twitter at GMS Studios, uh, or you can find us on Facebook to like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time we're in the studio. Bye.